Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey, welcome to this Driven Chat Podcast that's actually dropping on Easter Monday. So it's the sort of Easter edition of the Driven Chat Podcast. I'm Andy J, and I'm very pleased to tell you the main man's in the house. It's John Markar. How are you doing, Sunshine? I'm very well. Thank you very much. How are you? I feel like I should say Happy Easter, even though technically we are recording this a day or so before Easter, and people may be listening to this months later. <laughs> yeah. But if it's also, an excuse to go and eat some chocolate, at the very least, then do that. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, that is all Easter means to me. I don't really, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't really follow the religious stuff. So, yeah, it's it's about the chocolate eggs. What can I do? <laughs> it's um, yeah, it, it's a good. I've intentionally been trying to be as healthy as possible the past few days, so that I can then binge on nothing but chocolate for four days over the Easter weekend. That's an interesting approach, John. I've taken the opposite approach. I have been <laughs> I have been deliberately maxing out on chocolate so that I am in peak chocolate consumption condition <laughs> I like ahead that. of the weekend. What are they like training? Advanced yeah. training for yeah. sugar consumption. So you don't get a sugar high. Maybe that's actually quite sensible. It's two things going on in play, right? There's the speed at which I can unwrap a foiled egg now, which is impressive. A chocolate foiled egg. Obviously. Without tearing though. You must uh, Without tearing. Yeah, that's true, because you yeah. can do lots of fun things with the foil. And then the fact that I can basically inhale a chocolate egg now is, I'm proud of myself. Have you ever used half a chocolate egg as a cereal bowl? I've always <laughs> wanted to do that, but I never no. have. No, no, what a waste of a chocolate egg. No, because you can eat it afterwards, but it's a chocolate, if you had like a chocolatey cereal, you could have the chocolatey cereal in the bowl and then yeah. eat your cereal. 
drink your milk because everyone loves doing that and then um, just eat the bowl. Tell me how you get on with that, John. I will. I'm going to try yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so look, enough prattle about that. In fact, we'll come back to Easter in a second. This is, uh, this is a cool show coming up for you. This, John and I have this little waffly bit and, and more often than not, we have Amy with us. Amy's in the main part of the show in a second. Worry not. I know that people were a little miffed that she wasn't around last week. Well, don't worry. She's a, she's a big part of the show to come. She's just not here for this little intro again. This show features Tom Wood. Now, if you have any interest in classic cars and if you're listening to the Driven Chat podcast, the chances are you do this could be a uh, is a guide the appropriate term for this john a useful handy guide or are we thinking this is more never buy a classic car again kind no, of no i mean so we we skirt around the term financial advice during the, during this podcast because there is always you know it's a huge area of interest for anyone that has an interest in classic cars uh, the the idea that you can buy a car today for um, a certain amount of money and then in a year or two or three sell it for considerably more money and we talk about so Tom he owns a couple of really cool companies the first one is Kazana and that is a a um, classic car value tracking site effectively so it looks at the sale values both through auctions or classified adverts or information that's submitted by a user to show the progress in how a car is selling, whether it's going up or down in value. But he also owns carandclassic.co.uk, which is a website that we are all guilty of imagine buying on and browsing on yep. certain cars. So yeah, yep. this is a quite a cool episode where we cover a few cars. We, we mentioned a few, uh, a select few cars that have stood out, shall we say, cars that were quite affordable not that long ago and are suddenly not that affordable and of course we mentioned the z3m coupe because <laughs> couldn't couldn't get away with uh, not talking about that one so yeah it's an interesting one so it's kind of like it might plant the seed of if you have ever thought that's quite a nice way of investing my money in something that i can enjoy because stocks and shares and things are they can be fun they can give you high returns you can't do anything with that money once that money's gone into the stocks it's just gone it's in the ether somewhere whereas if you mm. buy a car you can drive it and show it off yeah and let it rust on your driveway yeah, well yeah i mean do. it's yeah like all investments it's it comes with risk yeah. <laughs> it does come with risk but no uh, i'm with yeah. you i'm with you you know it's it's a much more fun thing to do with your money you know spend it on something you love and if it also happens to accrue and increase in value great amazing that's it but well, that's, it is a risk isn't it it's it a is. huge risk but that's the exact the way you've just worded that there is is the best way to think about investing in classic cars it has to be it's a bit like art only buy something that you really really like because then you're not losing anything at all if you're buying it because you love it and you're going to use it and you're going to enjoy it then it's perfect if you're buying it just with the sole hope of making money and you have no interest in cars or no interest in that work of art you bought or anything like that then you know it's you're losing out. You have to have you have to have deep wrong. pockets. If you're if you're investing in cars purely to make money, it's it's kind of a deep pocket thing. You mm. know, it's it's yeah. a bit like the stock market. You're playing it with with intent to invest. Yeah, which means you're buying stocks and shares and things you have no interest in. You know, you don't want to. You don't care about whatever the brand is. You're just thinking, oh, this might make money, that's and it. that's yeah, it's, it's up to you if that's how you want to do it, but. Yes, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion of if you're going to invest in cool machinery, you've got to love it and just hope that it goes up in value. And if it doesn't, at least you love it. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, thanks to the sites that Tom owns, you know, there there are 
there's a good kind of you can do a lot of research for example if you are really thinking about buying a car and thinking oh it seems to have gone up so much is it going to go more um you can then look into how many are left on the road you can do all sorts of other equations and see if you know if the majority of them are owned by collectors in the west coast of the US then chances are those cars are not going to go rusty they're going to last a long time so therefore there may be more of them making the value a bit more stable or slow growing um, whereas if you've got a car that tends to get crashed quite a lot that's quite rare already then that's in a strange sort of way a good thing because the more that crash and go off the road the higher in value yours is going to go up um, <laughs> there are so many different factors to it and um, yeah if you if you are a somebody that's loved classic cars and you've got a spare bit of money um it's a it's a great way of putting it it's, it's better than keeping it in the bank as, as we always say <laughs> we do always say that we probably shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> but there we go hey listen a quick one back to easter for you because i'm looking forward to hearing tom wood and i'm sure the audience is here for that so let's just have a little bit of fun beforehand because of the old easter monday thing i was uh, bringing my son to my eldest into school this morning and we were talking about the fact that I was going to be recording something for Easter Monday. And basically, in a nutshell, the conversation turned into, what if the Easter bunny turned bad and, and needed a getaway car to get away from the police, right? And he said, what car? Come on, Daddy, what car would the Easter bunny have? What would be the ultimate Easter bunny car? So I turned it back to him to buy myself a bit of thinking time. Seven years old, bearing in mind. He immediately said, well, Daddy, he would need to steal a police car because then he'd be much harder to find and he'd have the radio so he'd be able to hear the other police and know where they are. So that was his thinking. Right? I love the fact that your seven-year-old said that. Your, se- your seven-year-old is a criminal mastermind. Are you aware of this? <laughs> <laughs> he spent too much time listening to you, John. He listens to this podcast. <laughs> That's the worry. He hears your stories of blood and guts with Wookiee and it's... It's aged him up far too quickly. He thinks he needs to go into pubs with uh, with his hands in his pockets and fall flat on his face, <laughs> things like that. So, so it's a worry. I need to censor this a lot more carefully now. Uh, but come on, John. If I mean, it's a, a bit of a ridiculous Easter fun. And obviously, if the listeners want to get involved as well, you can tell us what you think. Um, John, come on. What would be your ultimate Easter bunny getaway car, if assuming the Easter bunny had the ability to drive a car? Just with the... So he's gone bad. But is he is he gone? Is he stealing eggs now? Or I think I think we have got to assume he's a he's a pretty significant thief. Yeah, right. So perhaps he's going in the houses with a bit of a rue as to deliver the Easter eggs or hide the Easter eggs, but is then making off with the family jewellery. Is that what we're saying? I mean, if that's where you want to take it, John, it hadn't that's... been that thought through. So well, yeah, I, you sure. know, <laughs> I'm a literal thinker. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm investing. So it needs to be something fast. It needs to be something big because not only has he got to deliver the eggs he's also got to have room for the swag um, yes so i'm gonna go i can't help but imagine that a bad easter bunny would drive something a bit kind of obnoxious so i'm thinking g-wagon amg like g63 g-wagon that's type great. thing that's Big great boom. i had a, i had lamborghini urus ah there you go yeah so you and i were on the very much the same similar thing big fast yeah but then i but then i went through this thing which is it's not going to be very useful in traffic though you know, he's not going to be able to weave True. his way in and out. But you, you've got to be big for the swag. Got to be big for the swag. And you can always mount the curbs and just drive along the pavement. You know, this is a bad guy, after all. He's, <laughs> he's not playing traffic law rules. If he has to, it, if he has to curb a few wheels, that's, that's what has to happen. Yeah. 
G- I mean, G-Wagon is a good shout. I like it. <laughs> but specifically, it must be a G63. It has to be the big one. Big engine. <laughs> noisy as hell. Um, yeah. yeah, this is not a uh, not an opening I expected to be recording today, but I like it. I like it's it. a bit of a tangent, but, you know, it's because <laughs> we've got to mark the fact that, listen, I, I'm hoping... I'm hoping that I won't have to do any actual work on Easter Monday. It's unlikely. I seem to work 365 days a week at the moment. But I'd love to think that Easter Monday I can just consume chocolate. So, yeah, I'm future me. I'm, I'm jumping ahead four days or three days, whatever we are now, to, to Monday for Easter Monday. And that's me not doing any work. So this is love me it. working now for then, if you see what I mean. Love it. Yeah, no, that's good. I like the idea that you might be listening to this recording on Easter Monday with a mouthful of chocolate. Yes, thinking about the nefarious Easter Bunny. (laughs) Running red lights and smashing the wheels up curves and stuff. I think that's enough silliness from us, don't you? I think... (laughs) Yeah, perhaps. I think people would have skipped ahead by now going, no, silly, silly, no. Where's the Don't like it. Tell me about the classic cars, quick. Uh, fine, let's jump on in then. So this is Tom Wood from Kazana and carandclassic.co.uk. And as Andy says, you know, do feel free to get in contact with us, not only about chocolate Easter eggs, but if you want to talk to us about car stories, um, as we've said a couple of times, previous recordings, we have now got an email address. Thank you to everybody that has emailed us so far. Really, really kind. Um, we are working towards recording an episode, I think, ideally if possible when perhaps the first time we can all get together again in the same room because we are still doing this remotely for these Mm. intros um i would love us to be able to for the first episode but we're all sat together either in the truck or in a studio somewhere to go through the listeners emails episode where we can answer questions and talk about things you want to hear about uh so and of course classic car stories the the one subject that we all often talk about in the pub or car meets and things is the ones we shouldn't have sold. So if yep. anyone's got any stories, winner or loser stories, you know, if you bought something for 50p in 1995 and it's now worth £125,000, then we want to hear about that. Uh, but likewise, if you need to, uh, if you need some kind of take a weight off your shoulders and share that experience of selling your E30 M3 for 1500 quid in 2001 and, oh God, they're now worth £60,000. Um, yeah, we would love you. to hear about that. Yes, or do you know what, John? Or the other the other side of the coin, which is sort of more my kind of crowd, is the people that sold cars that they just they love to drive again. Never mind the value. Yeah, that's they just true. love another go in that awesome car that they used to have. Yeah, that was of its time. That was you know you had to be a bit of a bad boy. You had to be much younger to be driving it or not have kids or whatever it might be. Just that one, that one that still makes you smile. And yeah. when you do see them rarely on the roads or whatever, you just kind of go, oh, yeah, those, those were good times. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Anything like that. Anything that you think we can enjoy. And we will talk about it on the podcast. So, yeah, drop us an email. It's a lovely, easy email. It's podcast at drivenchat.com. Podcast at drivenchat.com. Simple as that. Hurrah. Let's hear from Tom Wood. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. And here we are in the interview section of this week's Driven Chat podcast. I, this is the voice of John Marker. Hello there. And sat beside me is the voice of Amy Shaw. Hello, Mr. Marker. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's not just the voice. Obviously, you are here in person as well. <laughs> the, the, the human side of me but as well. for the listener, 
it's your voice, as it is mine. <laughs> but this week, as you've probably heard from the little preamble that we've in no doubt just had with Andy Jay, uh, we've got quite a special guest with us this week uh, because there could be an opportunity for you, the listener, if you have an avid interest in buying and selling classic cars, making money from classic cars, or just surrounding yourself by cars that you love, uh, then we could have just the perfect person on the line talking to us. And talking to us through a Zoom call, we have Tom Wood, who is the owner of carandclassic.co.uk, fantastic website we are all familiar with, and Kazana. Hello, Tom. Hello, what a lovely introduction. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So it's great to have you. I mean, this this has been set up by uh, by a, a good friend of mine, Hannah Burgess, um, of, of the PR world fame. And I know that Hannah's doing some work with you at the moment. And she, she gave me a call a few weeks ago and said, look, I've got someone really interesting that you could talk to um, because we often talk on our podcast about the joys of buying and selling and owning classic cars in, in comparison to newer cars. Um, and yeah, she gave me a bit of an introduction to you and what you do and uh, the fact that you've, in the not too uh, distant past, you purchased a website that everyone in the car world knows, carandclassic.co.uk. Um, but why don't you give us an overview of, of who you are, what you do and what's got you to where you are right now? Well, I hope Hannah's not writing checks. I can't cash there. I, I will do my best to make car data really interesting in the next hour or so. Um, so yeah, so my, my name's Tom Wood. Um, I... Uh, yeah, we acquired Car and Classic in 2018, um, uh, but before that, I started a business called Kazana, which I still run. So I'm, I kind of I head up both businesses, Car and Classic and Kazana today. Um, and I suppose it all came, you know, the origin story is it came from a love of classic from a love of classic cars. I've always kind of played about with them. Uh, had a hand in restoring my old man's Austin Seven when I was about nine, uh, and it kind of all all escalated from there. Um, and I think it was about 2013. Um, I had some time on my hands and uh, uh, and a couple of classic cars, and I wanted to know what to buy next, basically. And I, I think, much like yourselves, I'm not very good at not very good at losing money on cars. I, I, I like buying stuff that I can effectively, ideally, pay for the petrol in appreciation with. Um, <laughs> and I wanted some data around that, and so that was where the idea for Kazana was born. Really, we started looking at. Um, kind of online data around uh, what was selling, how much asking prices were, and what was transacting through auctions, and, and looking for the signs of when a car has finished depreciating. So, you know, car prices typically when they're new, apart from some really kind of special low run stuff, tend to go down and to the right over time, they depreciate. And then there's a kind of this inflection point when they start going up again. And I was really keen to see if I could put some data together to, to work that out. So started pulling data from places like Car and Classic um, <laughs> to, to, to draw a graph basically of, um, of yeah, what was going to go up, uh, what was going to go up next and what I should be buying to make some money on. And that's where, that's where it all began. And is it for you, was it a case of buying, wanting to buy solely to make money or did you, are the cars themselves an important factor? I.e., would you rather buy a car you really love that's going to make a little bit of money as opposed to a car that you're not that fond of that might make loads. What, what was your kind of business brain telling you? Was it was it head over heart or heart over head in that world? It's entirely, entirely about a heart, I think, but being able to justify it by... Uh by not throwing loads of money away, I, I think, so, so being, being, being able to have a hopefully sustainable hobby from a financial point of view. Um, so, you know, that, that's where it really came from. I guess, you know, what we have today, I'm 
a very lucky chap because I get to run two really interesting businesses on the on the thing that I love, right? Which is which is cars and Kazana. Uh, you know, it's it's not just classics. You know, classics are a relatively small part of what we do. It's it's data for every kind of vehicle, modern and used, and and classic, uh, and then car and classic. Obviously, you know, the, we're the biggest specialists. I'd say classic and, um, and kind of supercar uh, website in all of Europe, second biggest in the world, um, and so very much focused in on on what is my real passion there around those mm. kind of cars as well. So, yeah, that was. That was I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky chap. Yeah, um, I mean, I was saying to before we hit record, and Amy arrived this morning. Um, we were talking about the website Current Classic, and I was saying I can actually remember. This is this is going to sort of <laughs> age us all slightly. Yeah. But uh, I remember browsing Current Classic years before I had passed my driving test. Um, you know, I'm 33 now, so I passed my driving test when I was 17, and that was a that as a platform as a website. You know, that was long before your your ownership, Tom. But that has been such a a staple part, I believe, of all kind of keen petrol heads. You 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 think of three or four places to buy and sell classic cars, or or any car really, if, if it's of any note or interest. And you know, whilst there may be the new platforms that have come along, like collecting cars, for example, certainly I think the staple choices were always well. If it's something relatively modern um, and you want a quick sell, you stick it on Auto Trader. If it's something that you don't really know how much you want to get for it, you stick it on eBay. If it's something that you're going to try and chance your luck at getting a bit more money for, pop it on Piston Heads. Um, but if it's something that you actually want the right audience to see, you put it on Car and Classic. And it's the same when it comes to, I do a lot of Imagi buying. I'm sure we all do. You know, you sit at home and go, oh, let's have a look at what, let's, let's get that imaginary 800,000 pounds that <laughs> yeah, I yeah. have sat in the, in the imagination room in the, uh, you know, over there and see what we can buy. And, and yeah, Car and Classic, you know, I, I'd love to, there must be a, a, a tool somewhere where I can see how many hours I've lost in just dreaming scrolling and dreaming as I'm going through yeah, it's in our Google Analytics I can pull that up for you, if you yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Amy you uh, have you done much browsing on car and classic what's your well the problem is if I do I because I'm I'm really I'm quite tight like I try to make sure that if I buy a car I want it to try and last me as long as possible so when I'm looking at classic cars especially I'm thinking, right, which one can I get parts for and can I keep going the longest? So I have a different view to classic cars and car buying to, mm. to what maybe you do, John. And um, Whereas I'm like, I'm, I'm so emotional with the cars. I get so attached to them. So mm-hmm. if I have to think about selling a car, it's to buy another one. It's, it's like a, a heartbroken thing for me. But when the time has come, a number of times where I've had to, you know, look into buying a, a classic car that has been the first website you know what i even got my first motorcycle from from the website so my 972 honda yep 354 from from that mot- from that website wow. um and then just i mean just even this morning you just think to yourself you know what? i'll just have a quick look as you said you're like right if i sold my house i can get one of those and one of those, <laughs> one of those, one of those. i can live in that one and you end up just getting not lost, but I think as you as you said the the amount of people who are now you know currently these classic car enthusiasts that have spent hours when they are teenagers even looking at the at the website just to to understand what I don't know things that they they like what prices things are and um yeah if they're thinking okay you know what I reckon I can make some money here there and and whatever so um so yeah I mean what was the was there a car that was the the beginning of your own love how did how did that that love start for you I think it's just been surrounded by the business. So, yeah, I mean, that Austin 7 was quite early days, and, you know, from a family that likes tinkering with cars. Um, and, you know, I, I talk about the bedroom wall effect a lot, but we see <laughs> classic values getting influenced quite heavily by that. So it's the stuff that was either literally, you know, so I had the 
um, the uh, the Le Mans um, the silk cut Jag on my bedroom wall. I remember that, oh, and I think cool. the Lamborghini Countach as well. So you have that kind of effect of the, you know, the cars that you aspired for as a kid, and then when people, when a generation comes into disposable income unfortunately you know not, not in a position to have enough disposable income for either of those two yet yeah? um uh then you know that, that starts driving the prices up but it's also the stuff um that you come across that you kind of aspire to early i remember i you know at university there was this audi s3 that lived on my street that mm. that, that, that some some rich student had got bought you know by by, by, by their parents to go to uni where <laughs> i was one day i will buy an s and I, that was the first car i ever bought new was an audi s3 um and so it's those kind of it's those influence it's those influences kind of through your life. Z3 M Coupe, actually, I know, I know you have one, uh, John, from our, our kind of prelim chat. You know, I remember an ex of mine was a was a doctor in the military, and I would go to these RAF sites and park in the car park, and there were always like four or five of them kicking around yeah. because these, these these pilots had liked liked stuff that was fast, yeah. had a lot of disposable income because um they you know they had everything paid for kind of accommodation and stuff and uh, i just remember being so jealous in those car parks. that's on my kind of that's on my want list as well you know it's the stuff you get influenced at at the times that you can't necessarily afford them and then you, you know, a bit later in life they become classics perhaps have finished appreciating and then you can kind of get mm. in there and that's what drives prices up yeah it's so true what you say about that the, the bedroom wall effect and that's one thing that i've never really i've never really thought of it like that but it's so true you know because for me i guess um, the kind of the halo car for me, it, the typical petrol head question that your your auntie that doesn't know about cars asks is, well, what's your favourite car? You, know, <laughs> you can never really answer it, but there may be one or two that, that pops out. And for me, the F40 Ferrari is one. That was certainly a poster wall for me. It's exactly yep. the same age as me. It was launched in 1987. And for me, it's always stuck in my head as a cool thing. Um, I mean, that's a that's an extreme because now they, you know, they're getting up towards you know, million million euros, million pounds plus. In uh, certainly in the advert prices, um, but things like you know, I, I look at a lot of cars. For me, the golden era of motoring is late nineties to kind of mid noughties between maybe up to kind of two thousand and ten ish. For me, that's where a lot of cars have massive influence on me, and of course, that's where my Z three M Coupe falls into. Um, I've had a couple of. Uh, other M cars, including a BMW E46 M3, that was yeah, 2002. So again, that falls into that category. For me, that was kind of between the ages of eight and sort of 15, 16, where I'm flicking through magazines before I'm able to drive going, God, I love that. I love that. I love that. You know, yeah. I remember taking the, I think it was Top Gear magazine, BBC Top Gear magazine, taking a copy of that magazine home on my way home from school. And it had a Laguna Seca Blue E46 M3 on the front. I remember saying to you know, saying to my dad, "Oh, one day I want to have one of those in that colour," and of course I did. And of course, it took me the best part of twelve years to actually be able to find to buy one. Um, and at the time that I bought them, they were relatively affordable, and now they are not. So it's yep. it's pretty crazy. But it is just because it's that category of age groups, and it kind of goes up, doesn't it, in the sense of um, the categories of cars. Another one I often look at is the three five five Ferrari. Now, for me. That's not a Ferrari that jumps out because I was kind of in that middle stage of it was just before my interest in what I thought would make a good driver's car as a child. Um, but people who were maybe 10 years older than me, you know, that would have been their teenage year car, the 355. And that's why now I believe, you know, 355s are suddenly spiked in popularity because there are people that have earned a good living. You know, they've done well. They might have sold a business or worked themselves up through a company and earned a good salary. They now have the means to go and buy them. So it's quite... Exactly. It is quite interesting to see how, how the values fluctuate. 
Um, it's films as well, right? So, I mean, the 355 in particular, you know, the opening scene or the opening scene or near opening scene of Goldeneye, right? Yes. There's that race with the, with the DB um, and, the, and the 355. And, uh, yeah, you know, and that was, so I'm, I'm four years older than you and that 355 is on my list. You uh-huh. know, that is one of my, 355 and the 456 are the, um, are, the, are the two Ferraris that are kind of on my wish list from back in the day. And, um, and yeah, I think that is what, you know, I'm, so I'm not there yet, but as, as a generation comes into a position of being able to spend more of them, you see the prices and, and the prices on 355s have started to go, right? You know, yeah. they're on the move mm. um, and, it, and it will carry on. Obviously, volume comes into play as well, right? And yeah. that's where, you know, um, your, your, your coupe has a, um, has a big advantage because of the numbers in the UK are relatively lower than yeah. that car. So mm. that has an impact. And, you know, one of our, we published a couple of months ago, our kind of risers and fallers list. And I was surprised to see on the, on the fallers, the MX-5, you know, it's still, mm-hmm. when MX-5s are still kind of um, dropping off a bit. And that's, it's purely a volume problem, right? So there are, you know, classic ones out there that people have looked after really well or race prepped or whatever that are worth more. But because there's just so much volume in the market and mm-hmm. a lot of people that bought them weren't necessarily enthusiasts, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of volume still to wash through. And until you've got kind of scarcity, then the price, you know, the price isn't impacted. Um, you know, one of my stable is a, is a Rover P5B that I've had for a year, two decades now, scarily. Um, and uh, and you know, those have finally started to move. Um, so it's a big old lump of a guy, you know, not, not a good track day weapon. Um, but, um, but it, you know, the, the price of them, because I think so many were scrapped, so many rusted away mm. um, from, you know, 70s uh, British Leyland workmanship, that um, actually uh, th- there's relatively few now on the road in good condition and so you're starting to see the prices you know for a good one be up at the kind of 20 grand mark so um those two things you know bedroom wall effect probably drivability or trackability as well comes into it as well and then scarcity you know have have significant impacts on price um on the kind of let's call them the every every man or every woman classics right and then you've got this kind of art art classics bit right which is your yeah, you've been at the three and a half liters, four and a half liters in your um, your Bugattis and so on that perform in a totally different way, right? Which is like a kind of almost a speculator, very high end market. Mm. But I kind of, you know, we have them on the site as well. But obviously, by definition, it's a relatively small part of our audience. So yeah. the stuff that's more accessible to us all is the stuff that kind of gets me excited. Mm. That uh, that era, that that kind of pre-war era of Bentleys, we've I think we've kind of touched on this a few times in a in a couple of previous episodes i'm really fascinated to see what's going to happen with those values mm. because you know they're hard work to drive i've been fortunate enough to drive a few um some very very long distance and before i had the opportunity to drive them i wasn't really that fussed by them you know i thought as a as a machine as a thing it's very exciting and very impressive but i certainly had no desire to go and own one um, then i was given the opportunity to drive one quite a long distance and a bit of an adventure and i absolutely fell in love with it but i think until people get that opportunity because it is such a spaceship in comparison to every other car you know you've got a, yeah. a center throttle and the handbrakes on the outside of the car and in some cases the gear shift is on the outside of the car as well and you know and you've got to go to the gym to steer it yeah yes. you have to go to the gym to steer <laughs> your passenger has to grease the suspension by thumping something with their foot and you know that it just seems like a completely ridiculous alien world and i'm really concerned i'll be interested to see what happens with the value of those because i i just i feel like the people the vast majority of people that own them now are of a certain age and that age is probably mid 70s plus mm-hmm. um and a lot of their kids you know i for a long time i was um co-running a classic car touring company we, we organized driving tours for um people with exactly these sort of cars and a lot of the customers that would come on those tours classic grand touring would say you know i don't know what's going to happen with this car when i die because my son has an interest in cars but he doesn't want to drive this or my daughter you know she she loves the car 
uh, loves that it's in the family, but she's much happier driving her 1960s, whatever, you know, E-Type. And it's, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what right now, because of course some of those Bentleys, Bentley blowers, for example, are selling for well over a million quid, but give it 10, 15 years, other than people that want to buy one because they can and they just want to, to sit in a front room somewhere, who else is going to be buying those cars? You know, it's, it's quite... Um, Quite interesting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think there are two. You know, there's two different um, uh, types of those cars, right? You've got your genuine numbers matching mm. pieces, which again, you know, I, I think will will end up like art, and the prices kind of are treated like art. So obviously, very good tax regime around classic cars, right? In, in the same way as when you buy and sell art, and there are there are artists from the 1700s and 1800s whose art is still really popular and really yeah. expensive, right? And continues to go up. And my view is those original pieces if you like will probably hold their value you know they'll, they'll carry on being you know quite special quite valuable things i think it's really interesting to think about you know that there's a lot of uh bentley four and a half liters being remade and rebodied mm. and created right and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with those non-original things because you're right you know as the demand i mean for what it's worth i, I would love a bentley blower and I, that, that would be in my dream garage so um if anyone would like to contribute well, yeah. <laughs> I, think be, I think that would um you know um it's, yeah, it's a bit of a dream car for me. And you're right, I don't know why, because you know, driving experience-wise, um, it's not going to be anywhere near as good as any of the more modern stuff that I've got. Mm. But as a, as a as a sense of occasion, you know, there's yeah. probably not much else out there that can kind of that can kind of compete with no. that. It's an um, event, I think, is the best way to describe yeah. it. Exactly. An event. Exactly. And, I, and you know, I, I really fancy that. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, I, you know, we, we see that a little bit as generations age. You know, one of the things that we did as soon as we... Um, as soon as we bought the site, is we recognise that this has got to be. We still need to have the pre-war stuff and the, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s stuff on there. But actually, we've got to make this more appropriate for the younger, you know, the new generation coming in and the modern classics. So exactly the stuff you were referring to, you know, the 90s and noughties and onwards mm. um, type of vehicles. And so we've we've seen massive growth in the number of those that we have on site and the, and obviously the value of those as that new generation comes in. So what I didn't want to happen is. You know that site kind of ages with its audience and then goes a bit stale, mm-hmm. um, and so we've that, that's where we've seen kind of massive growth in in, in bringing on the modern classics. And you've all, always got this balance of you know there'll be a set of people on that site that only want to see 1940s stuff, yeah. and there'll be a set of people on that, that, that site that only want to see you know noughties JDM stuff. And we've got mm-hmm. to make sure that we we balance that for everyone because we have you know we, we've got every every man and every woman on that site. You know it's really mm-hmm. important to, um, to to make sure we've got got something for everyone. What do you think has been some of the most surprising either increases or decreases of some of the cars that you've seen in your data in the last, let's say, 12 months, especially over, over the last year we've had of, with COVID? Have you looked at the data and thought, huh, I did not think that was going to go that way, whether up or down? It's always a kick yourself moment, isn't it, when it yeah. goes up? I should definitely, I should definitely have, you know. Well, if um, anybody's going to buy the cars, if, if you're not doing it, then, I mean, what what are you doing, you know? <laughs> It's quite busy running these two businesses. You know, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I wish sometimes. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, yes. the um, the Vauxhall Carlton is one that has been pretty mm. stellar from a performance point of view. Um, I think we saw one recent Dural auction. We've got another one coming up. But that's you know, 2013. You could pick one of them up for four or five grand. Um, and now kind of 60K plus oh, wow. um, realised prices on them. So that's been pretty, pretty incredible and continued through the last year. You know, COVID hasn't really had um had much of a damage certainly on the modern classic stuff it hasn't had had much of an effect at all much of actually, mm-hmm. it, it's had a if anything a slightly positive effect and not a negative effect because people have been you know our traffic's up 60 percent year on year 
which is incredible, right? Through, through what is a quite a weird period. Um, and it's because people are sitting there dreaming about the stuff they're going to buy to go on the summer road trip. You know, when when things finally open up, when we've got that kind of post-war uh, spirit going on, right? When everything, <laughs> yeah, when everything's yeah. hopefully fixed, um, you know, what am I going to go and take on my on my holidays that mm-hmm. I can kind of be proud of and, and have that's a bit different? So we've seen a yeah, massive increase in browsing and as an increase in prices. That that Colton example has carried on through um, through through 2020 and into this year. So. Um, so that's been pretty incredible. Um, you'll be pleased to hear, John, that Z3M Coupes as well have kept, carried on their rise. So. I know. Well, Hannah. Um, <laughs> so Hannah Burgess again. Um, she's kind of like the 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 key to this all. Although she's not in the episode, she's not recording with us. She's provided a fantastic document um, uh, with a, a couple of highlight. Well, a good selection of highlight cars that have been you know steadily increasing through. And and she was very kind to include the Z3M Coupe on there because yes, indeed, <laughs> I've got the stats here. So 2013. Average selling price uh, was around £10,000. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward to 2021, the uh, the prices are going as high as £40,000, which wow. is, I mean, great for me. <laughs> I didn't pay um, I didn't pay an awful lot more than £10,000 for mine. Um, and, yeah, mine's a bit of a funny one because, again, it's a purist's nightmare. It's been painted the wrong colour. It has the wrong wheels. Some of the windows are made of plastic. The bonnet's made of fiberglass. You know, it's very much a track day toy. But ultimately, you know, the engine chassis and everything about it is, ultimately, I'm always going to be able to sell it for more than I paid for it, which is um, which is great. Um, but I have to ask, with the what would you say are the driving factors of these values in the sense of, you know, I, I for example, went to... Um, the Goodwood Revival a few years ago now, ha- having a year out of events has kind of made everything jumble up. So I can't work out if it was two years ago or five years ago. But a few years ago, I went to a Goodwood Revival event where I think it was Bonhams were having an auction and they did the typical thing where they put up a huge marquee, lay out a load of cars, all different eras. And they had a Z3M coupe in there, which admittedly was a very unusual colour. It was kind of like a steel grey, which was a very rare option back when the cars were new. Uh, the car was in pristine con- condition. Um, but the estimate on the ticket price was £61,000. I remember walking in with my dad going, what on earth is going on? You know, who on earth is going to be buying this car for £61,000? And I think the hammer went down pretty much bang on that price. And I remember thinking, like, that's absolutely insane. So does a, it's one single sale like that hammer going down at Bonhams on that Z3M. Is that enough to influence the rest of the market value? Or do you need to see two or three occasions, you know, happening with cars selling at that value. Not on a car like the Z3M Coupe, because it is, it's low volume, but it's, it's, uh, it needs more than one sale like that. On an F40, potentially, you know, slightly different yeah. than the fish, because there's obviously much fewer sale events in a year. But, you know, on a, on a Z3M Coupe, I, I haven't got the exact number in front of me, but it will be um, tens, if not hundreds of sales, probably tens of sales per yeah. annum. And so you'll need a few more data points than that, especially if it's quite a rare spec, right? You know, yeah, it's rare, of course. If it's, if it's not the blue and it, you know, it, it's a, it's a rare, rare color and rare spec, it will have a different, different point. I mean, yes, the estimate point, you know, estimates are always kind of indicative of roughly where the reserve is, right? That's mm. the reality of, of auction. So it had to be up there to sell, I guess. So, yeah. um, you know, there'll have been a lot of work going into that car before the auction to make sure that there are people interested in that appropriate spec and kind of attracted to it. Um, 
But no, it won't. I mean, look, it will form a data point as part of where things are trending, but it won't necessarily be the be all and end all around driving prices up. But, you know, there's a combination of realized prices at, at auction, of asking prices on cars. You know, you will get zero views on your ad if you're asking twice what the current market price is for a vehicle, right? Mm. So even though asking prices aren't necessarily realized prices, they're still pretty indicative of where you need to be in the market, you know, even if, even if they are 10, 20% higher. Um, and you can kind of, we're very transparent around the number of views that our ads get on the site. So you can kind of see when something is completely out of bed from a price point of view, because it yeah. won't be getting any views on it. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It's the, that famous old saying, we've said this a, a thousand times again with various guests that we've had, when it comes to selling anything, classic car, houses, art, anything, an item is only really ever worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. You know, we could all list, I could list my Z3M on Car and Classic this afternoon and put the price tag at a million pounds. You know, that, that would be whimsical. I'm sure the advert would get a lot of views, mostly from people going, who's this idiot? Uh, but ultimately, nobody's going to buy it for a million pounds just because I've advertised it for that price. And I think a lot of people forget that. A lot of people will have walked into that bottom's tent and gone, bloody hell, 61 grand. Let's get home and put the Z3M up, Z3M up for sale, but charge 10 grand less. You know, chances are it's not going to sell at that price because there well, are this is the, so many others cheaper. Yeah, completely. I mean, this is what this is what Kazana does, actually. So, you know, a lot of our work is done with car dealers. And the old way of kind of pricing a used car for sale is you would look at a book value, which is kind of legacy view on what happened at auctions last quarter. And you would mark up your profit on it. And that's what you would stick the sticker mm. price on for retail. And actually, the whole market now, it doesn't work like that. It's completely turned on its head. So you've got to be comparable in the retail market in order to get leads in against that vehicle. And so, Kazana, all the work Kazana does is around kind of that dynamic retail pricing thing. So you can spend lo- you can spend loads of money on pay per click or loads of money on slots on Auto Trader, but actually that might be a complete waste of money if you're out of bed in the market. And obviously on a on a classic car, it's almost easier because you've got um, more enthusiasts understanding the price, perhaps le- fewer numbers of variables around the kind of options and so on they can have. But on a, a modern used car. That's really complex, right? Like there's quite, actually quite a tight window around the comparable features on vehicles to spot. So it's kind of it's kind of weird how all this classic stuff then kind of fed into starting Kazana for me and um, uh, and ending up kind of um, affecting the way that modern dealers price their used cars as well. It's the same, exactly the same kind of approach and the same data fields that, that you know that, that ultimately affect the price. Right. Yeah. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? Really. I mean, uh, would you say? I think what, what I'd like to do in this conversation is try and give a bit of an insight to anyone that's at home listening and thinking, yeah, I have a passion for classic cars. I have got a pile of cash, um, you know, be that a little bit or a lot that I'm thinking about doing something with. Um, it's no secret that classic cars as an investment has been something that more and more people have been focusing on. In fact, I've got a very good friend of mine, Tristan, who is a financial advisor. That's his, he's a wealth manager and financial advisor. And um, yeah, he gets approached by um, people of all ages who say, right, I've inherited a bit of money or I've saved up a bit of money here, um, don't want to go and buy another property, it, you know, what else could I be putting my money into? And the first question that Tristan will always ask his clients is, do you have an interest in classic cars? Because of course, there are so many perks, as, as you alluded to earlier in the comparison to the art, uh, art dealing, Currently, right now, um, here in the UK, there is no capital gains tax when it comes to selling a car for more than you bought for it. In the same way that, you know, if you went if you went and bought stocks and shares, and you did very well in that year, you bought ten thousand pounds worth of stocks, and they went for thirty thousand pounds the following year, you would have to pay and declare the tax that you've earned on that profit. Whereas with classic cars, you can buy a car for ten thousand pounds, 
and sell it a year later for 30, you don't have to pay a penny in tax. So that's, that, you've done you know, very, very well there. That may change. There have been conversations about that, but right here, right now, early 2021, we can still get away and do that. So would you, again, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here a little bit with this question and no, no pressure to get this right. I'm not a financial advisor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Caveat, this exactly. is not financial advice. That's and do you know what? That, that's a very good point. And I will say that out loud. And I've done this before with written with articles. Disclaimer. Yeah, I've done this with written articles as well, um, where I've been asked to kind of commentate on this world. And I always say, yes, this is not financial advice. Um, this is effectively a bit like stock exchange can be seen as a bit of a gamble. Things, can, prices and values can go up and can go down. Um, do not listen to anything we're saying and take this as advice <laughs> is what I'm saying. However, here's an idea of something you can give a go at. Because of course, even you know, my examples, um, I never thought um, in my first few years of driving that I'd be in the space of five or six years, be looking to buy cars that I'd then be able to sell on for more money. That just wasn't something that in my head, it was kind of like, you know, to do that, you need hundreds of thousands of pounds. You need to be buying brand new Ferraris that are on limited run and selling them for, you know, 50,000 pounds more because so many people want them. And yes, that world exists, but of course it's a bit harder to get into. Um, yeah, for me, it was things like, yeah, my first car, Amy's got one of these as well, it was a classic Mini. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my dad and I paid about 850 pounds for that. And then a few years later, despite the fact that we put an awful lot of money into it and probably overall lost money, I should, oh, dad, thanks dad, dad lost the money on that. Um, but, you know, we sold it for three and a half, four thousand pounds. And that was in a relatively short space of time. Um, would you say, is there, a, is there a price bracket where if somebody is sat at home listening going, right, yeah, I've got that pile of cash. Um, what would you say is a sensible amount of money that you could actually go and spend, have an enjoyable time, but then we're not going to say guaranteed to make you money, but a good likelihood that in a year or two's time, that purchase on that car, whatever it is, might actually be something that earns you a bit of cash back or at least covers the cost of petrol for a couple of years. I think I think the good news is that kind of effect is accessible at all levels, right? Whether it's mm. a 500 quid car or it's a half million pound car. You know, I think there are there are cars that are going to have that effect at every level in the market. I mean, the things that drive it, the things we were talking about before, right? It's, it's scarcity. It's something finishing its depreciation. Um, and you know, becoming very attractive at a relatively low price, and then people get interested in again as a modern classic, and then kind of drives the price up. Mm. It's the bedroom wall effect. You know, it's what was what was in films twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, um, that will will start driving things up. I mean, to give a few examples, so I had you know, I'd say a few years older than you. So my films when I was great were called kind of eighties and nineties films, and the R one two nine. SL500 featured in yes. lots of them, right? And I yeah. so I kind of I don't. It's not a performance car. It's a nice wafty car, but <laughs> I, you know, it's a massively over-engineered car and um, you know, 36 motors or something in the electric roof and all this kind of stuff. So I had one of them for a few years, and I, you know, I, I tripled my money on it. I think so. I wow. bought it for five and um, sold it for 15. I think three years later. So um, mm. just about paid for the petrol of that 35 <laughs> litre V8. Um, uh, you know, the, the, these these are available, the, these opportunities, you know, arise at, at every level because the market's always changing. Mm. Um, as, as you said at the beginning in your disclaimer, you know, that can happen the other way as well, right? Yeah. You know, so especially at the moment, some of the 40s and 50s stuff that was perhaps a bit speculated on over the last decade, mm. it started to come off the boil slightly. Um, I think we are moving from, or we have moved from a speculator's market where lots of IFAs 
you know, even if even if he, he, your, your your friend there is doing absolutely the right thing, is have you got an interest? You know, will you mm. get some joy out of this thing compared to the half a percent that your money's earning you in the bank? Yeah. Um, but lots of IFAs that you know perhaps weren't asking that asking that question and were just you know, advising pile into these things, you know, mm. and so. It was very much a speculator's market, which drove a bit of a price bubble, certainly in the high end of things. And I think we're now we've moved out of that. Um, but there there are probably still a few a few vehicles to flush out that kind of people perhaps overpaid for over the last decade that they didn't really love. You know, they didn't have it because they loved the thing. They had it as more of a speculative thing. And yeah. um, and so they, they will potentially go down a bit further. But look, I, I think. I think at the end of the day, you've got to buy something that you're genuinely enthusiastic about, yeah. and you genuinely want to drive around in. It makes me, it makes me kind of sad that, that you know the people that buy them and they put them immediately into storage and never touch them. Like yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. purely a, um, it's purely a, you know a speculative move just to, just to tie the cash up in something. So mm. I'm, a, I'm a big. Having said that, I literally just uh, impulse bought an E38 um, seven series and put it straight oh. to storage because <laughs> <laughs> I've always, I've always wanted one of them, and um, and my view is like that will go up over the next couple of years um again doesn't constitute financial advice but yeah that's my yeah um that's that's my well interestingly so, yeah. interestingly i bought an e38 7 series um it was only a five it was only a 728 so it wasn't a particularly exciting one um but that was the shortest space of time i've ever owned a car because i bought it on the 1st of march last year well, you so, know you're gonna tell me it exploded or something quite the opposite so if you remember about a year ago um from from when we're recording this now, uh, the pandemic really started to take a grip, and I'd just gone out, and that was a bit of an impulse buy. A friend of mine was selling it, said, "Oh, do you want to buy this? You know, you can have it for nine hundred quid." Oh, I can't remember. I think it was about nine hundred pounds I paid for it, and I was like, "Oh, that's a good little wafter. You know, I'll have that as my as my cool daily, as opposed to you know getting something boring like a two liter diesel." And uh, yeah, I bought that, and then of course, as the pandemic really started to take grip, I thought, "Oh, I could probably do with not having so many things and running a, <laughs> at the time, travel and hospitality company." So you know, fantastic mm. industry to be in at that time. Um, so yeah, I put the I put the uh, the three the seven two eight up for sale. Uh, bearing in mind, I bought it at nine hundred fifty pounds on the first of March, on the fourteenth of March, two weeks later, I sold it for fourteen hundred quid. And I thought, you know, that's. <laughs> Solid, that's solid investment. So there you go. Tax the, fee, tax free, five hundred quid. Happy exactly, days, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Although I think in that two weeks, I probably did spend about five hundred quid on fuel. So it balanced out. It balanced out in the it's end. Lucky you didn't get the seven forty. I mean, look on the bright side. I know, <laughs> but don't they sound great? <laughs> Amy, you you have got um, you know, you've, you've alluded to the fact that you're emotionally connected to your cars, but yes. you have got two cars that have the potential to be, um, you know. A, a, certainly a contribution towards a house deposit moving yes. forward. So your lovely classic Mini, Yep. I'm guessing you've had that since you were... 10 years now. This is the problem. Yeah, I've had it since I was 19. Yeah. And I'm guessing you didn't pay an awful lot of money for it. I think I, I found it on eBay for £1,700. I think go. it was, yes. And um, I, I, so when I um, look into, like, you know, sometimes I think to myself, should I, should I sell it at some point? Especially as I look out Onto, the, onto it daily when it's on sat on my street and I'm like oh it's getting a little bit more orange instead of the, <laughs> the colour it should be and I think should I maybe sell it and or try and sell it for, for something else and I think oh you know would it be worth what I I imagine it would be worth what I bought it for and um, I, I suppose there's a point where you know cars will go up and up and up and then it gets to the point where they're like and no they're not, they're not in, people aren't interested anymore so I, I don't know if we're ever going to see like Bentley blowers or anything start to go down because, mm. as you said, they've got that, that 
that history and that art sense about them. But some of the cars may be from the, I don't know, 60s, 70s. Do you think, well, I'm wondering if there's a generation in 10, 20, 30 years' time who literally will not be interested in classic cars or the complete opposite mm. and absolutely love them more. Um, I mean, I don't know whether some of the first electric cars that have been coming out now will be considered these future classics or if they're like that is old technology now i mean i don't know we, that's you, a crucial thing with a lot of modern cars isn't it that the tech i mean we can even see that in cars that are hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even late '90s, early noughties, at the time where you think about uh, the big, uh, the big brands like Mercedes-Benz and BMW um, and Audi, you know, they were bringing out tech in cars that we hadn't really seen before. It was new stuff. It was, um, you know, be that from in-car entertainment technology to lane assist to all that sort of stuff. Cruise control is a perfect example. Um, we, you know, at the time we were all remember going, "Wow, this is the future! Like this is so exciting!" But now not that far on a lot of that technology is so out of date in comparison to what we're used to now and it's just horrible frankly you wouldn't want to use it you don't want to experience lane assist in a 2005 mercedes-benz <laughs> it's terrifying are you sure it won't become a novelty in the future well <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> perhaps perhaps yeah value fear factor value in fear factor is, is a which we you know there is a fear factor mm. in what you know classic and vintage cars now and we we say that we enjoy it mm. so maybe that will be a you know it becomes as we've said already an event to go out in yeah so maybe that it's is that the individual thing though isn't it it's like I, I think people want to be individuals more and more now and you know that that kind of homogenous everyone having the same trainers is perhaps yeah. uh, dropping off a little <laughs> bit and you know with you know with you see resurgence of kind of Vespas and Lambrettas and things like that. And I think, I think people, you know, we, we just, we just hired someone on our team um, who drives around every day to Mark 10 Jag and that's his kind of day to day. So instead of paying a PCP on something, yeah. you know, he probably welds up patches in that every week, you know, that, that, and that, <laughs> but that's the, that's the, it, that's a really cool thing to have street parked in London and roll it just like your mini, right. You know, it's a really, mm-hmm. it's a really different, unique thing compared to having the, um, you know, the perhaps more generic modern PCP. Um, it's so true. It's, I mean, I, I made a bit of a pact. I think at the point that I discovered I had the ability and the means to buy buy a car at a price and then potentially, not guaranteed to, but potentially sell it for more, I kind of told myself, I, you know, why would I ever buy a car ever again that I'm going to lose money on? Like it does, it, you don't have to do it. I get the appeal in new cars. I get, I get the fact that a lot, a lot of people 
just have no interest in classic cars. The idea of classic cars is quite scary to a lot of people. They think that, oh, it's, it's always going to break down. It's going to be unreliable. It's not safe if I crash, all that sort of stuff. You know, a lot of those things may be true. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I think there's there's a lot of bad press that that are spread through rumours. But yeah, you know, like your colleague with a with a, an old Jag is great. You know, the fact that Amy rocks around, it blows my mind. This <laughs> blows my mind because I just find them the most uninspiring things to drive. But Amy loves her old Defender 110. Yes, I do. Now, there's another example of a car that on paper, as a product, it shouldn't really, in my opinion, be worth more than a packet of quavers. <laughs> but loads of people absolutely love them and they love them because of what it is. It's a it's a special thing that evokes emotion. But then I could say the same thing about minis. You know, I love minis. I think they're fantastic. I'd love to own another one in the near future. But plenty of my car mates absolutely despise them. They hate them. They couldn't think of anything worse than driving them. But the other thing I think about some of these cars and the ones that people do think, you know, I've always fancied one of those or, or I, maybe I get one of these is if, as you've said, Tom, about the idea of wanting to be different or your own self or, or you know, if you have a car that you can create your own, you know, make it your own and that is your personality, that is your 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 look, your vibe, whatever. Like for me, the, the Defender with its knobbly tyres, canvas roof, that is <laughs> that is me. And it, it looks different to other Defenders I see who, you know, they prefer whatever that they want to have. And, mm. you know, with 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 your own cars as well, John, you've you've made those your own. And, and I think there's something that's special about cars. You can do this too, where you think, you know what, this yeah. I'm, I'm going to make this my own. Whereas some of the more modern cars today, of course, you can spec things differently and you know buy different wheels, or whatever. But to the extent of how much you can can customize a car, I think also um, affects how much people want them, how much they love them. Maybe I'm wrong with that. That's but they're just... useful. You know, they're, they're really safe ways of going from A to B, right? Quite efficiently, <laughs> modern cars. So I found, you know, I, when I was living in Southeast London with like probably four or five at any one point in time kind of modern classics. Um, I found myself quite often taking a zip car when I had to do any miles for business. <laughs> so my weekends would be spent pottering around in interesting cars around London mm. because, you know, it's fun taking a Rover P5B to Bermondsey Street because it looks great on Bermondsey Street <laughs> as it would have done 40, 50 years ago. But then if I, you know, if I had to go out west to Oxford or something for a meeting, I would get the train to Hammersmith and get in a zip car, which was inevitably like, you know, a modern Audi or something, yeah. but, which did the job. And, and, and frankly, meant I didn't have to drive across town on a, on a weekday. And I think that as long as you're not m losing money, so, you know, money in the bank at the moment isn't doing very much for you. Yeah. So if you can take five grand of that and buy something interesting that is a great hobby for the weekend, that's a bit different. And then fine, you know, if you have to do loads of miles with your job, you can access a car kind of on an hourly basis or you mm. can spend 300 quid a month on a PCP and get a, a new Kia that's very functional at getting you from A to B, right? Um, yeah. But actually the the classic is different from that. And people ask me a lot about the the regulatory side of classic, you know, are they going to get banned? Will this not be allowed? And, and <laughs> it's kind of kind of mean completely banning people's hobbies that actually aren't that harmful in the in terms of the number of miles they're doing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think, I think they're here to stay. But um, I think that mindset of having this really interesting, you know, alter ego or whatever, you know, this, this classic thing for the weekend that you can go and do and engage with. And, you know, re revival being the epitome of that where everyone gets dressed up and, yeah. um, you know, kind of lives that is, is really nice and, and is here to stay. And I think there'll be a new generation, even if they, I didn't have a Rover P5B on my wall, you know, cause I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not 50, but um, uh, it, 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 like, I, I still love it. It's still a great thing to waft around in, yeah. you know, just like the guy that's in his mid twenties that drives around in a, in a Mark 10 Jag, you know, he, you know, he's, he wasn't around when they came out new, but it's a really cool, massive lump of metal that <laughs> is nice for wafting around in at the weekend. 
it's almost like a uh, it, it's it's a good kind of it's a good display case to say I have an interest in things as opposed to just a, a white goods you know machine. We could all we could all go out and buy Ford Focuses right now. We could all go and buy them, and it would do the job. It would do everything we need a car to do. It would get us from A to B. We can put things in the boot. It's probably not going to break down if it's relatively new. As a car, it ticks all the lists of things you would ever want. But I don't own one. Amy doesn't own one. I assume you don't own a Ford Focus either, Tom. No. And you know, there's, there's there's nothing wrong with anyone going out and buying a Ford Focus or you know a new Fiesta or an ST or an RS or anything like that if that's what you want from a car. But I think in the world of car people, if you certainly classic car people, if you do make that decision to rock around with something cool, chances are you kind of want to get to a point where somebody's going to strike up a conversation with you about the car. Like, again, Amy's Defender, I, I feel like I've, I've given it a disservice but, but there because I kind of slagged it off a bit, but I love it. It's also not that classic. No, that's true. That is true. <laughs> well, no, it's modern classic, I guess. It's modern classic. Yeah, 2003. You know, it's to a lot of people, that's a yeah, very old classic. car. <laughs> to me, but, that's my most modern car I own. So. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know... That, one of the most modern cars that's going up in price as well, right? You know, exactly. It's, from, a, oh. from an appreciation point of view, you've done pretty well on that, I imagine. Oh, um, well, and. Yeah, and it, and it will continue to do so. But that's so, exactly um, it. And, you know, if, despite the fact that I have no desire to own a Land Rover Defender, I love the fact that you own a Land Rover Defender. I love the, I love the fact that a lot of my friends have Landys because I'm like, that's a cool thing. Don't want to own one, but that's a really cool thing to have. And I think that's, that's often reflected in the car world. Again, a bit like the Mini anecdote. There are loads of people that have no interest in driving or owning a Mini. But ultimately, if you went to an event, let's say you went to a house party or a, a dinner party and people started turning up in their cars, if you as a car person are standing there watching a Vauxhall Knocker arrive and then a Ford Focus <laughs> arrives and then a Astra <laughs> arrives and then someone pulls up in a classic Mini, like, right, that's the person I'm going to go and see if yeah. they want to drink because that's an interesting person. It's, it's like sports, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's the thing that brings people together to talk about. You know, mm. if you're, you, know, you might be into football and cars, but I, I, this tends to be a, you know, people tend to have one or the other, I, I, I tend to find. <laughs> yeah. and, um, I'll and definitely yeah, need more think, cars than football. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah, it's the same thing. It's that, it's that, you know, you've chosen to be interesting in the way that you arrive yes. at this place, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And I don't want to have a chat to you about it. And even if it's something that you don't, like you, you dislike, you know, or even, even, even like you seem to hate the defender. So you know, something like that, you can still have a <laughs> chat about it and, uh, and, 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 and engage. For what it's worth, I really like Defender. I, Thank you very much. I did. I love the idea of having a Defender. And then we did this charity uh, road trip down to, we did London to uh, Land's End last year, in, in two years ago now, in our, our micro cars. I've got a Bambi three-wheel the poor man's PLP 50 um nice. and we, we did it with with Kazana um and uh, and we so and our support vehicle was this 110 Defender um uh, and we sorry, towed them all back it did an admiral job of towing this massive trailer <laughs> but it was hateful sitting in the back of that for nine hours <laughs> on the way back from Land's End to all the way back to London it kind of changed my mind about them a little bit but um but yeah I love you know, a lovely thing to look at and it's just a great bit of British motoring isn't it the defender it is i, I love it i mean there's a, this of the cars that i've owned in the past there are some that i think you know what that's probably going to be a thing in the future but i still hate it like i had a ford k8 is it k8 or car like I, people ask i think it's like, car but is it? i don't think it matters anyway, anyway yeah i think they are cat yeah <laughs> <laughs> On, i think they are the most boring girl car that's that's how i've always just kind of seen them and i thought i swore i would never own one anyway then my my Fiat Punto broke down and I just happened to my lovely grandparents like you can use the the, the Ford for, for a while if you want I'm like 
thanks granny and uh, <laughs> basically I now look at them and think will they be the future mini that we see today or um, another one I had and I love and I've mentioned it in the previous pods um, I had a uh, the Puma full Puma oh fabulous car bloody little yeah. Puma would think I think the problem is now I think they've already started to shoot up and I don't I, I now wouldn't want to spend like one and a half two grand on one because I'm like I don't know if they'll go up much more so um, well the interesting thing about that that kind of Firstly, I don't predict the Ford car is going to be a, a future investment. If you are sat at home, you know, looking at your bank balance, going, "Ah, Ford cars are affordable," probably well, you not get ten Ford cars. Yeah, <laughs> probably not one that's going to make you a lot of money. Probably, but maybe. Hey, if I'm if I'm wrong in thirty years and there are Ford cars selling for sixty grand, then I'm a fool. Um, but things like the Pumas, yeah, because the Puma as a as a driver's car, that was quite a a dynamic. Um, it was a car that a lot of people kind of dis- yeah, disregarded, I guess, when it first came out. The other example I'm thinking of, I'm not very good with the shape names of Toyotas, but there's the, the Toyota Celica. It's the one that kind of has quite sharp, angular yes. headlights. Yep. Um, again, that was a car that a lot of people, I think possibly because of a lot of the people that bought those cars, they suddenly became quite unpopular within certain circles. You had to be a certain type of person, boy racery, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's a car that got really bad press unnecessarily because as a driver's car, it's actually phenomenal. Like it's a really, really good car. Again, MX-5s. For years and years and years, there's, and to a certain extent there still is, this kind of hairdresser vibe to them. You know, oh yeah, it's a girl's car. But my Have God, you driven a track one, a track prep Mark One? It's I've, great fun. I've owned five. Fun. I've owned five. <laughs> they are absolutely phenomenal cars. And yeah. I just can't, you know, it, it it's, it does seem to be a car that kind of escapes it. But yeah, back to the Ford Puma thing. I think ultimately anything that is kind of regarded as a good driver's car for that track day aspect or just something fun for the weekend to go and do the country lanes in, it will always creep up in value slightly. The, the one thing that's going to aid the values of one that's been really well maintained is the fact that Fords of that era rust like bilio. Oh, yeah. you know, they rot mm. and rot and rot. And it's a bit like, you know, I have a, a bit of a, a complex every time I see that a Z3M has been crashed because I'm like, oh no, but oh, the values are going up. Because, yeah. of course, <laughs> it's another it's one, another off, one the off the road. <laughs> and of course, the rarer they get, the more expensive they are. I'm not saying please go and crash your Z3Ms in order to you know, boost my bank balance at all. But <laughs> it's, you know, there are, there's so many aspects to the consideration of buying a classic car because there may be people out there that like you had an experience in a car like a Ford Puma and go oh, do you know what I would like to own one and that or I'd like to buy another one and it probably that should be what leads your decision it should be I really enjoyed that car it had a positive impact on my driving life and I have happy memories with it that should be the reason to go and buy it over chances are it's going to make me it's going to increase in mm-hmm. yeah, a yeah, couple of grand because ultimately I think it will go up in value again yeah. but perhaps not to the extremes of of other things. Yeah, so I suppose... I can't quite work out. Sorry, get through it. I suppose it, it was gonna, it'll be a win-win if you make money or love it either way rather than buy something you don't really like and then lose money. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But it's like art. You know, I, I dabble a little bit in, in buying and selling art, very little bit. But ultimately, the rule of thumb with art is you only buy the, what you want to put on your wall. Yeah. You wouldn't go and buy... Even if I had the means to go and buy something really abstract, but I hated it, knowing it was going to make me a load of money, that's, you know, okay. From a business point of view, it'd make perfect sense. But ultimately, I want to buy things that I can put up on my wall that people then walk into my house and go, oh, that's nice. That's a, whatever, pure evil or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's, that is the golden rule, really, isn't it? Buy what you love, 
by what you enjoy. I'm not sure what, yeah, I don't know why no one's done a, so a lot of the, there are very few now kind of investment funds of cars where you can buy a little stake in a fund and they'll go yes. and buy some cars for yeah. you to try and get some appreciation. And I've always thought the bit that would work really well there is you combine it with a, uh, a driving club. So, you know, these clubs where you get the credits and you get to drive, mm. so you actually get to do both. So you get to kind of benefit in the, in the valuation appreciation of all, of all the cars that they have there, but you're buying stuff that you actually want to drive and you get to kind of engage in on a part-time basis. That's yeah. a, another side hustle for another day, probably. But <laughs> well, yeah. Something like that would be a, a great idea because then it's accessible. You know, people that want to chip in a grand or a couple of grand can start to um, engage with cars that they wouldn't necessarily be able to afford otherwise, right? I think there'd be Absolutely. a benefit from the upside. So. Absolutely. I think more of that will start to happen. And you made a very interesting point earlier when you, paid reference to Zipcar, you know, that that kind of car subscription service. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Certainly with these new rules coming in here in the UK, we're going to have these rules, I think, from 2030 now. It's going to be... Uh, so a, a car manufacturer here in the UK is going to be unable to sell you a car that is run solely on fossil fuels. So you won't be able to go and buy a just petrol or just diesel car. You'd need to have some sort of environmentally friendly, I say in inverted commas, um, aspect to it. So i.e. like a hybrid or full electric or um, hydrogen, something like that. Um, yeah. Of course, you know, there's, again, too much of a time, too much of a tangent and a, a bit of a rant at a different angle. But of course, the the energy that goes into making these cars far outweighs the the energy and the carbon emissions of just driving an old car. Um, and in 2030, there will be 40 million cars still that are not powered through those mechanisms that are still sitting around on the road that will still need to be sold and resold. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the reporting on that, I think, has been a bit irresponsible. Like, there will be no petrol or diesel cars in 2030. You know, note there will be 40 million of them still. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there will there'll still be a second-hand market for them. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's going to be, you know, for the next, yeah, uh, for the next 40 years, people will be driving around in almost what we right now would classify as brand new, fully fossil fuel powered cars. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. and you're right, the, the press coverage has been laughable and, and very badly thought out, I think, you know, from the, the government decisions as well. Yes, okay, I like the idea that we can all drive around in these electric cars and save the oil and the fun stuff for the fun cars, but it, it, you know, the logistics of it are all still very, very up in the air. But hey ho. Um, that's not for us to commentate. That's just for us to sit back and go, ha, told you. <laughs> Hopefully. Otherwise, once again, I'm going to look like a fool. <laughs> um, so let's go, before we start to wrap things up, so I realise, gosh, we've been talking for for already nearly an hour. The um, Going back to, so looking at the list of cars, so I'm going to just reel through a few that jump out at me. Um, I'm going to start cheap and go up in value. Um so things like a Rover SD1, there's another car that we have to be very cautious of, um, of corrosion, one of Longbridge's yeah. finest. So, um, you know, not a huge grower, but in 2013, that was a £2,000 car and they're selling now for five. That can only keep going up really, can't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I think so. And I think that there is some real, you know, you see some really big prices, big, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand on, on the, the survivor cars, you know, the very low mileage one owner kind of stuff. But because it was a relatively high volume car, the SD1. Mm. So there are, they are kicking around in kind of grandparents' garages and things like that. And they, they can be found. So, um, so yeah, I think w when you see that, when you see the, uh, you know, the survivor cars going for two or three times what the average market value of those, you know that that's going to start to kind of move up. So I agree. I think that's a, it's a great start. It's very usable, right? You know, um, servo brakes and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a powerful-ish V8. Um, so it keeps up modern traffic and stops and 
yeah, if you like the the style of it, you know, it could be a great starter classic. Definitely. Um, again, another one that I would definitely class as the in the accessible world, Nissan 300ZX. I think is is one of my as a, as a car with the you know, engine tech. The engine tech in a 300ZX is just mind boggling. Even if you're not that fussed on the mechanics and how things how things work and why that why it makes it special, it's still a really cool looking car. And again, we're going back so 2013. Average selling price of about three thousand pounds, and now they're selling for as much as twelve, which is incredible. Like again, we can. It's again, it's a car that's going to be of limited numbers. I think that styling for a, for a good solid period of time became quite unpopular, and now it's going to become Definitely popular again. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. that kind of 90, early nineteen nineties um, vibe to it. Um, TVRs, it's always going to be a bit of a brave pill, isn't it? I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't mean, dare. We've got a couple here. We've got the Cerbera and the Chimera. I, I, lo I love the Cerbera. I've never had one. Again, I'm not brave enough. and I, I don't fancy spending every weekend fixing the windows. But I, I think um, I think it's a great looking thing. It's a great looking and a great sounding thing. And I think that you know, the standout value of that on today's road is incredible, mm. right? Yeah. Um, I think that's probably what's driving it. Plus the films, right? You know, that was, wasn't it, was it Swordfish or something, the John Travolta film from the like early, early noughties, late nineties. Rings about. That was, that, that was the car in that. And again, the people that saw that and thought that was cool and that, you know, that, that will have an effect, I think. <laughs> so the, one of the, the next one on the list is a, is a Porsche, but it's the 944. So this is an interesting one because again, I can remember seeing these selling for, yeah, even less than three grand, you know, yeah. a fairly nice 944 as well, you know, fairly well sorted, but because it wasn't a 911, it, it never had that appeal, but now they're selling for as much as 14. And so the Porsche bubble is a bit of a funny one because the 911 values have always entertained me. And I, again, as I say, I, I alluded to it earlier, I took advantage of that in the sense that I used to have for a, a couple of years, I had a 996 Turbo X50, uh, which I bought from a friend and managed to sell a couple of years later and make a few thousand pounds on it. And that was great. And again, in reality, probably weighed out the costs of servicing and fuel. Yeah. Um, but it was in man to... maps. You made loads of money on in that. man maps. I'm a multi millionaire. That's yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. Um, what are your thoughts on that world? You know, the Porsche world, because again, I feel like there's been an awful lot of influence, um, especially here in the UK from Porsche Club GB. I think they have a very, very close knit community where there's a lot of internal communication that happens and, and discussions about values and things. So when people do yeah. come to list their cars, they will put them up for sale for a certain price. And again, I fall back to that whole, well, something's only really worth what someone's willing to pay for it. But the day that 996s, for example, which again, in my in my mind's eye, in my memory, it feels like it was only about a few years ago that they were selling for three or four thousand pounds. Now, most of them are being listed for 19, 20,000 pounds for a standard Carrera 2. And I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? You know, that's that's not a rare car. 996, 911s are, are there are plenty of them, but yet. They seem to be I think Porsche done a really good job. Porsche done a really good job of the um, of kind of encouraging people into the classic Porsches, though, haven't they? So if you look at the you know the setup they have at Vista, mm. um, I can't remember what it's called the Porsche Workshop or something. You know where, they, where they're getting the, the the people along to test drive modern classic Porsches and kind of getting them onto the drug and then offering the servicing and mm. taking away some of the pain of maintaining them. I think mm. that's helped drive and support values. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, with, with the, um, what, what have we got, the, the 944, I think, you know, it's very, it's again, it's a great entry classic, right? You know, they're running at about 14K now. Um, it's 
probably slightly cheaper to maintain perhaps than the the, the other 911s of its yeah. of its era of its ilk um, more traditional kind of you know um, motor in the front kind of vehicle and, and I think quite a usable everyday classic and again I think it's that style thing you know it's the same point as the as the Nissan the 300 like it's that 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 quite um beefy big arches look is kind yeah. of coming back a bit you know and I think people yeah. appreciate that so I think that's what drives it um, I can't comment you know I think I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a Porsche man weirdo, for my sins. So I, um, I, I can't really comment on the 911 mark. I mean, you've got the Singer effect a little bit, which definitely yeah. helps. Right? Yeah. But I, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's nice to see other non 911 things that are, you know, also also coming up. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel, I often feel like the the 911 is a car um, that is often being bought by people that aren't necessarily. Again, I have to be careful how I say it, but true petrol heads. <laughs> They're people that buy them because they have seen a lot of other people buying them. And that's my Porsche yeah. issue. You know, it's this, yeah. it's this in the club thing, right? You know, it's like I've suffered with my P5B and the arches <laughs> that are steel on aluminium on steel <laughs> and change them. It's sometimes, and I'm sure most 911 owners are not like this, but it is the kind of, it's almost the go to of I've got some money and I want a fast car. That's what I buy. You know, it's I slightly think that's the problem that you're talking about. Unimaginative, mm. as if I think it's a lack yeah. of imagination, which I think is. A, I mean, it's a lovely car. I do you think they're beautiful? If somebody said, "Would you like one?" I'd be like, "Yes, yes, I would." But I think if you've got some some money to play with, then play with it. Don't just go for the easy option. Personally, mm. go for something you, as, as we've already discussed, that brings you joy, and you just think this is this is the thing that represents me as a person. But um, yeah, yeah, no, maybe that's, that's me yeah. being a bit harsh. That's exactly <laughs> it. No, I think I think that's it. I think if if we're going to give any yeah crucial advice, the moral of this podcast should be yeah go and buy with your passion that you're going to be proud to drive, you're going to be happy to drive. Exactly. Um, the other, I guess, the other crucial rule as well that we always that I always end up advising people that bring up this topic of conversation is yes, go and have that. You know, if you've got that pot of cash aside, certainly, again, like all rules of investment, work to your means in the sense of make sure you have got a bit of cash to as a buffer because of course classic cars especially cars that haven't been driven for quite a long time they can reawaken issues and, and ailments and things that need to be fixed or serviced or um, repaired do plenty of research again we've got the world at our oyster now or with you know in the palm of our hand we can do as much research there are forums and forums and forums on almost any make model engine specification of any car that's out there now so go and do your reading and yeah only really get involved in something that you're you're content and you're confident that you've got an understanding of you you know you certainly wouldn't go and buy if you had no interest in airplanes you wouldn't just go and buy an airplane in the hope that it's the right one to buy you know you'd want somebody just to, get be able to go to out for a fly yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and go to an expert i think is a bit i'd add to that you know we've it's a really nice hobby in that people want to talk about it. People want to stop you at the pumps and talk about whatever you're driving that day and talk about when they had one or when their dad had one or whatever else it might be. Mm. Um, but the, you know, on, on car and classic, there's over 2000 kind of dealer and restoration shops that, that advertise on there and they're all open. Even if you're not buying a car for them, go and talk to them and get some advice. There'll be specialists, you know, that really understand and have worked on tens or hundreds of that particular model and understand all the issues that it could potentially have. Mm. And, um, and you can talk to them. There was a, I mean, I, I, my, my modernist car is a Discovery 4 that is like the workhorse for towing stuff around on the farm. And, um, Great car. And there was a, a, a classic, I, I love it, absolutely love it, as an all-round, can do every, like literally the best all-rounder I've ever had as a car. Um, <laughs> but it's like a boat from a maintenance point of view, so you have to spend 10% of it cost yeah. every year on, uh, on, on maintaining the thing. But um, there, are, there are dealers, there are a couple of dealers out there that just specialise in them and know all about 
everything that can possibly go wrong with them will be able to give you great advice on them. And that's a, it's not even modern classic, right? It's just a modern car. But mm. um, to that point, there will be that there are so many specialists out there that can really give you the right advice on all the bits that could and might go wrong and even inspect cars before you buy them to make sure you're not getting into a, a money trap. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd advise that. And how can, um, how can our listener benefit from Kazana as a, as a platform? Because that's something that's open to everyone, isn't it? If you wanted to you know, use the site as, a, as, as somebody to get a bit more of a grasp on what values are doing, that, that is, it's not something that's solely you know, reserved for the trade, is it? Or for dealers. Not, no, so Kazana.com is a yeah, consumer-facing site. You can tap in any uh, number plate into that and it will give you a free valuation for the car and it will show you some of its history so you can look at kind of nasties that have cropped up in previous MOTs and things like that. We, we've got to do more. And, you know, we've, we've, we've owned Car and Classic now for um, two and a half, three years. And a lot of that time has been spent just kind of shoring it up, you know, taking it from the, the one-man band that it was when we bought it into the... 30 person team and proper technology stack that we have today so we haven't made kind of massive differences there's still a long way to go in kind of proving the ui and the ux of that site you know just how easy it is to search for a car and to target the things that you want to find on it but one of the things we want to bring in and we're going to be bringing in over the next year is is bringing some of the kazana data to the fore so being able to look at the graph when you when you're viewing a your 300 zx on the site what is the graph looking like so some of the things we've shared with you that you were generated for this um this chat today being able to kind of publish them on the site so you know the average person looking at for a classic car can see what's happened to prices over time and you know project on what they think is going to happen next on them so making some more of that data um transparent and that's kind of our mission um because it is it can be a bit um a bit exclusive you know the club if you don't understand yeah. if you haven't been monitoring you know uh, z3m coupe uh, adverts for the last five years you, you <laughs> might you might not have i'm not saying you have or not but um you, know, you, you might haven't been honestly haven't been looking at your ga um uh, you, know, <laughs> uh, you, you might not have the in-depth kind of detail around that stuff and yeah. so um that's what we, we want to start taking bringing some of that data to the fore that was it's one of the main reasons we bought the business not, not just because i i love i love the the, the subject matter it's actually we think we can use data in quite a powerful way to help people understand what it is that they're buying and what the likelihood is around, you know, how, how prices change in the future. So yeah, ho hopefully in the future, you won't need me waffling on a podcast. You'll, you'll be able to go on the site and <laughs> engage with some of that stuff. We'll just use your services. Yeah, 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 quite, quite, quite. But I think, um, you know, it, it's all, it, it's such a powerful and such a important tool to have at the moment, because again, I think we, Amy and I, we've had this conversation in the past when, playing around with classic cars and yeah there is definitely an element of concern that that world is at risk of disappearing slightly and we we obviously don't want to see that we want the younger generations to be able to um you know i sound i sound like a bit old old before my years <laughs> by saying younger generations but ultimately you know there's there's people that i've worked with in in recent years that are a solid 10 years plus younger than me that are now you know going out and buying the first cars and stuff and it's it seems crazy but the um you know, we we want people to be familiar with that world of classic cars, not be afraid of it, essentially, and have the curiosity to explore it. Because I think there are an awful lot of people that love the idea of owning a classic car, but they have they've got those fears and concerns, and and a lot of the times it's it's unjust. You know, Amy would definitely go and recommend people go and buy an old Defender, yes, or an old Mini. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I would too. Before you buy the Defender, if you're anything like me, height-wise and size-wise, sit in it and have a drive for it first. Because I, and I, I have to say, the Defender has broken down at least five times over the last year. 
like make sure you've got AA cover. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but for getting good on the spanners, though, isn't it? You know, exactly, it is. Yes. And and I mean, you know, you don't have to delve too much into your personal finances here, Amy. But what um, you know, is it? Have there been scary bills, or is it kind of like a few hundred pounds here and there? Well, I mean, I'm very lucky that my boyfriend is also a <laughs> mechanic. So that does help. <laughs> that helps massively. Um, but no, before before I met him, there was a couple of scaryish bills, like. Mm. Um, you know, having a, a rear diff replacement for yeah. a couple of grand, and you know, then if 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 I hadn't have if I hadn't met my boyfriend when I did, I would probably have had to get rid of the defender by now. It, it was okay. a bit too scary. I can't I can't deny. But at the same time, if I was to now sell the defender, and I can say to anyone that buys it, this will be a cracking car to keep hold of because mm. everything's been done. So yeah, that's true. That is the that's the other true. thing. Like now, now I know it's all been done. I can probably quite comfortably ask for. Not a lot more money than what I paid for it, but um, yeah. But more. More, for Ultimately, sure. Absolutely. If you sell sure. something, if, if after all costs and fuel and insurance and everything, you sell it for a pound more than you bought it for, you've won. You know, that's that's free motoring. <laughs> and that's what you I, I think. The, I think the good news on that kind of generation coming into it is we're seeing our demographic change quite quickly, both from, a, you know, it was very, very male-oriented when we bought it, mm. right? And we're seeing that demographic change and we're seeing the age of people come down that are engaging with the site. You know, we've Car and Classic didn't start doing socials until about two years ago. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. th- th- those those you know Instagram type channels and Facebook drive different audience ages, and we're seeing great engagement from the younger generations. And I think more broadly, ecosystem wise, there's some awesome stuff happening. You've got the Heritage Skills Academy, which is training, you know, doing apprenticeships for mm-hmm. you know, being able to maintain and weld and do up kind of traditional vehicles, kind of pre-computerized vehicles, which is which is great to see. And I think all the manufacturers kind of mucking in around the you know whether they have the the approved kind of classic um, divisions or heritage divisions or running kind of events. You know there are they're all trying to there there is a, there's a really nice kind of um, positive trying to get new people younger people into the industry and maintain the um, the enthusiast kind of classic world, which I think is super important. Yeah, um, and I think it's here to here to stay. Is my view. I hope so. But yeah, I, I, I do say. too. I do too. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's brilliant. So I mean, it, as the listener at home, um, let's you know. Here's, here's two opportunities to go and start doing some research, whether it's a world you're already involved in or if it's a world you're looking to dabble in. Um, you know, both of Tom's businesses here are, are, are perfect tools for you because, of course, firstly, you've got the joy of just sitting and imagine buying like I do with Car and Classic or perhaps actually going and looking for that investment. So you know, use Kazana to have a look at values. Um, of course, as, we keep, as we've said time and time again, it's not a guaranteed you know, prediction just because the graph's <laughs> going up at the moment. It doesn't mean that it might not start going down in the future but you know do plenty of reading you've got car and classic to browse you've got kazana to browse um, and of course you know we we've mentioned this a few times in, in previous episodes we're working towards in our podcast having a a reader's letters as as we as i've called it already but um yeah listeners letters if you want to send us an email you know if you've got a question about this aspect of of car ownership of classic cars um be that advice or questions then drop us an email podcast at drivenchat.com if it's okay with Tom, you, Tom, I might drop you an email with a couple of those questions in the future and just see if there's some uh, some advice you can offer or, or or any input you can give back. And then yeah, uh, of course, I'm, I'm probably useless, but we've got a team of eighty odd people now <laughs> who spend all their time looking at car data, so I'm sure they'll be able to help. They're welcome. There. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, this has been fantastic. It's been really, really interesting listening to you, Tom. I, I hope that a few people at home have been inspired to go and. Uh, take that plunge or, or at least investigate a little bit more. Uh, let's keep all those classics on the road and, and keep that passion alive. And um, yeah, hopefully we can cross paths in person 
in the not too distant future. And I um, hope so. Yeah, yeah. Have, have, have more some fun car, car event. Yeah, yeah. That would, that would be great when when events are back, which hopefully isn't too far away. But look, look Amy, John, thank you so much for having me on today, and uh, it'd be really nice chatting to you. And Pleasure. yeah, do any any other questions from you or the or the audience? Drop us a line, and we'll do our best to help. Fantastic. Thank, thank you so, so much. much. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.